we have a very, very powerful, dynamic, and very deep teaching team here at Bridgeway. I feel blessed and surrounded that, uh, man, there are so many incredible gifted people. For example, uh, Bishop Parnell Lovelace will be in, not only in the house, but he will be here uh, next week closing out our series with the book of Habakkuk. And I have, I guaranteed the nine o'clock service, a double dose of the Holy Spirit because he was here. So I, I don't, I don't know if I can guarantee that, but I, I think anytime he's around, you're going to get some type of anointing. I just know that because he's awesomely cool. So anyway, um, I wanted to highlight something else special about, uh, Pastor Brian that will lead into another kind of announcement. So, um, last week when I was at the women's retreat, which we'll talk about in a moment, last week, uh, Pastor Brian was supposed to preach the week before that he was not, I was slated to be in the pulpit. So I was supposed to be here. Now, if you know anything about me and my history, it takes a lot to keep me out of the pulpit. That just, I've preached with the flu. I've preached in a panic attack. I've preached through everything, right? So I'm kind of the Iron Man when it comes to being in the pulpit. So it had to be pretty important. Uh, what ended up happening was that on Friday, I was coming back from a Oakland prayer retreat with some other pastors. And I had just dropped off my last carpool person and I got a call from my stepmom, Pam. Now she doesn't call me, so I knew it was important. So I took the call and she was crying and said, they just took your dad away. And it was the paramedics. And she said, it's either a stroke or a heart attack. We don't know. I'm going to the hospital. Well, I knew at that moment that I needed to get out of town and go up to Reno where my dad lives. So I had to go drive the two and a half hours on that was friday afternoon on friday afternoon i called up pastor brian i said here's my lesson i need you to know it own it go through it and preach it tomorrow and he did it how awesome is that yeah pretty impressive man it is so hard to do a turnaround that fast right okay so now fast forwarding onto the story of my father whose name is bruce um, what ended up happening was that, uh, when we got there, they were running a whole bunch of tests, come to find out it was a grand mal seizure that he actually went through and he had never had any health problems like that before. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's, he was in really good shape and he's super, super sharp. Uh, he's only 78 years old. And as they did the test, they ran through and did an MRI and they found three lesion spots on his brain. And so they had to do a biopsy. So they did the drill, you know, they went in there, got it out. And we just got three days ago, got the um, diagnosis. And it is unfortunately the worst case scenario. So it is stage four brain cancer. And the lesions we saw were just the branches. So unfortunately, uh, there's quite a bit in there. So it's inoperable. And so we are now trying to sort out what does that mean and how do things work like that, right? And so obviously I would love your prayers, right? I, um, my dad's very special to me. We have a really, really great relationship. And uh, so he, it's important to me. So if you are praying, just pray for, for Bruce and his wife, Pam, as they're going through this very difficult season, I'll be able to give you updates as I know them a little bit more. So... Um, I was telling the ladies at the women's retreat, which by the way, was absolutely awesome. Um, we went up, yeah, praise God. 
I was up with 220 of our ladies, right? Which is obviously the minority, but wow, it was a powerful time. We got a chance to go up there, just us ladies. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Everyone was like, so pastor, aren't you uncomfortable? Like you're the only dude and there's like 220 ladies. I was like, man, I got raised by women. I've always been around women. All my bosses have been women. This is my place, right? I had to keep looking in the mirror, just check what gender I was, right? So, and, you know, I mean, I was joining in everything. Like, uh, it's on a women's retreat till you cry, right? So I was crying, you know. Was... Anyway, it was a super wonderful and powerful time where I got a chance to really empower the ladies of Bridgeway, get them fired up, let them understand their identity in Christ a little bit more, be able to affirm them as their pastor. Um, but unfortunately, the majority of us uh, ladies, you didn't get a chance to go. So what we're going to try to do is get that. It was recorded. So we're going to try to get that material and make sure that it's available to all of our wonderful ladies of Bridgeway so that you too can be blessed and affirmed. So we're working on that now as to what, what the quality is, right? That we got a chance through the microphones to record, but we're going to try to get that out to you as soon as possible. So ladies, uh, please be paying attention to that. Um, and then, uh, the last thing that I wanted to point out was that pastor Brian Kylie and I do a podcast and the podcast is called engaging culture, right? Engaging culture by Bridgeway Christian church. You can see the logo there. If you go on iTunes or you're, if you're an Android user, you can go on stitcher, things like that. You can subscribe to this. Now here's what it's all about. On our pulpit, we have made it very clear that, first of all, we as a church, we are not a political church. We are an issues-driven church. We are a Jesus-driven church. So what happens is we do not have political affiliations. We are, however, always going to talk about issues that matter. But the pulpit is a terrible place to have a healthy dialogue about complicated issues. So we tend not to talk about them very often up here, not because we're avoiding it, but because it's not the best environment. But we needed an outlet to where we could do that because we need to talk about how our faith creates a grid by which we see society, how we filter the news, how we perceive what's going on in the world. So Pastor Brian and I now have done about 25 episodes. We've been doing it over a year now. They're all in there. You can kind of binge listen, right? When you go back into it. And we talk about everything that's been going on in the nation, all some of the heavy issues. We bring in guest speakers to come in and just share with us a little bit and talk through that. Um, if you need a little bit more insight as to, I wonder what God would say about this. I wonder what the nuances are of this. We've been tackling some very, very heavy issues. Um, and the only thing that I would encourage you, because really you can go through and listen to only the ones that you're interested in, right? I'm not there. I'm not going to be offended. You can totally scroll through boring, 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 boring. Oh, this one's awesome, right? It doesn't offend me. I don't even know about it, but there is one requirement. And that is sometimes pastor Brian and I disagree at all times. You need to side with me. Praise the Lord. Okay. There we go. Just being honest, right? Okay, good. That was the only requirement. All right, you ready to get into the Word of God? Let's do this. Take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and we can begin. We are in part six of seven. As I mentioned, Bishop Parnell Lovelace will be closing out part seven, wrapping up this series, so it's going to be absolutely wonderful. 
I want to encourage you to invite everybody that you know and love uh, to hear his teaching as he closes this series out for us. But this particular message I called Creator Confusion, and we're going to be all over the Bible. We're only covering three verses of Habakkuk. It's a Habakkuk series, but we're only covering three verses. In order to understand those three verses, we're going to be all over the place. So get ready to turn very rapidly. As I'm beginning, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It is in the New Testament. So go to the right in your Bibles. You're going to hit Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. There you are. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. While you're turning there, you can just listen to my voice. Lies are terrible. Yeah? They erode the very foundation of relationship. Trust is critical to moving forward in any type of community. Lies have destroyed so many. Most commonly, lies are perpetuated from one person in the know to someone that is ignorant. In other words, you don't have the information, so I'm going to make it up to manipulate it my way. I'm going to tell you an untruth. I'm going to try to bend your understanding to fit mine for my benefit. That's normally how lies work. But I believe there's a deeper level of distortion when we begin to lie to ourselves. Right? It's not an outside person talking to us. It's us lying to us, which seems so bizarre. We could know better. We should know better if we look deeper, but we really don't want to. Because we're afraid of what we're going to see there. Let me give you an example. We don't want to believe that we are depraved to the core. We want to believe that we are basically good people. If you look deep enough, you're going to find out that is not true. Jesus makes us good, but we are depraved to the core. We don't want to believe that our life is actually fragile. We want to believe that we're invincible, but we're not. We want to believe that our friendships and relationships are such that we will be liked and loved regardless when in fact they are contingency based. We don't want to believe that. We want to believe that we can treat our bodies any way that we want and still live long, healthy and fruitful lives. That is incorrect. The decisions we make on our bodies today affect tomorrow, right? You see, these are what we would refer to as self-delusion. But I would believe that there is a darker delusion. And in my mind, the darkest of delusions is when we manipulate ourselves into believing something so strongly that we form it into our worldview and we start to act as if it's real. Like if you gave us a polygraph, we believe our lie. You know understand what I'm saying? Like it doesn't even, it doesn't even turn the dial. You ever had something that you look back and you said, did I dream that? Did that really happen? Or, right? Well, you, we have an ability to kind of distort our reality to where we start telling a story so often we start to believe it. For example, we start believing, I never said that to that person. I never hurt that person. I didn't have that affair. I didn't say those things. And we so convince ourselves 
that now we're living into our new life. Hmm. I believe the greatest darkness, however, is when we allow our lives and manipulations not only to rule our lives, but to edge the true God out of the picture. We set up a system of living where He doesn't matter. We don't consult Him. We don't listen to Him. We don't care what He thinks. We don't have any relational connection. We have supplanted Him with a whole new reality. We have exchanged the truth for a lie. Would you look with me at Romans 1.18? Here's how Paul said it in writing to the church of Rome. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creepy things. All right. If you take notes, I want you to write this down. It's not that we can't know, it's that we don't want to know. It's not that we can't know, it's that we don't want to know. What Paul just said is that God has revealed himself to mankind through the stuff that was made. What does he mean? Well, you got to answer for why there's stuff. you got to answer for why we're here. Are you telling me you honestly believe that evolution solves that problem? It can't. Why? You go back to the Big Bang. Who started the Big Bang? Well, it was kind of a, a conglomeration of what? Anything that exists, something had to put it there. It just doesn't work that way. So all of us should be able to know God. We should know there's a Creator. We should have the humility to interact with Him. We just don't want to. Why? Because the minute you realize there's a God, you're not him. Does that make sense? I mean, this is why it's not that we can't. We just don't want to. You know, we could know what holy living means, but we don't want to because then all of a sudden we're accountable. We could know how much we hurt other people by our decisions, but we don't want to. There's a lot that we could know. But we would rather stop up our ears and say, la, 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 and just keep moving, right? The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. A fool bows down to a lie. A fool bows down to a lie. Once you recognize something is a lie, you need to abandon it. One of the most powerful proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that all but one of the 12 of Jesus' closest associates died believing Jesus rose from the dead. They were tortured to death 
and said, my Jesus is alive. If they would have hid the body, if they would have done something that they were lying and they're messing with, they would have given up the game. Why? Because it doesn't help you anymore. They died for what they believed. They're like, you know what? We were his closest friends. I know what a dead guy looks like. I know what an alive, resurrected guy looks like. We saw him with our own eyes. I will die telling you my Jesus is alive. Man, that's powerful. You see, you don't die for a lie. You don't bow down to a lie. So why are we bowing down to things we know full well aren't real? We just don't want to dig deep enough to find out. You see, as we continue on from last week where Pastor Brian Kiley was sharing with us Habakkuk's vision, and we'll have you turned to Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 18, God was recounting through a vision this evil nation called Babylon. He was going to have them come in and bring judgment on Israel. And God said, don't make any mistake. No, 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 they're bad guys. Man, they are messed up. You think you're messed up. They're super messed up. But I'm still going to use them to judge you. As he's recounting that list, we found out that evil is self-defeating. Why? Because the only thing that lasts in this world, the only thing that matters in this world is God. Evil is anti-God. It will either burn up or fall over. Nothing other than God stands. Satan cannot build anything apart from God. It's not going to last. So evil is always self-defeating. Evil may rise you up in the eyes of the world, but it will also take you down. Evil's not sustainable. Only God is sustainable. Evil isn't eternal. Only God is eternal. Y'all following me? Everyone's like, no? Okay, good. (laughs) Praise God. As he's going through his list of what is evil about this nation, he gets to the bottom of the list and says, you know the real problem, Habakkuk? with these guys is the gods they serve. They don't serve me. And when your mindset's wrong, everything's going to be wrong. Their mindset is on other gods rather than me. And that's always going to lead them to destruction. If you write notes, write this down. Why do we do the evil that we do? Why do we do the evil that we do? Here's the answer. It's all about the gods we serve. It's all about the gods we serve. If you most value autonomy and self-independence, you're going to clash with God. If you believe that you must always have creativity, control, and options, you're going to struggle with Jesus saying, I'm the only way to the Father. We inherently have clashes with God. It all depends on who we're serving. All depends on the gods and idols in our lives. All right, let's look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 18. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 18. And then we're going to jump to Isaiah 44, 9. Isaiah 44, 9. All right, so let's pick up the Habakkuk part first. Here's what he said. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. That's a, that's a kind of a cryptic way to simply say this. Does anybody see how dumb it is that we bow down to something we made? Right? Because I feel like this. I feel like 
there are so many times when God looks down on creation and he just smiles right where he's like, man, I made him in my image. Look at him go. That's so cool. Right? Like a little ant farm. He's like, this is so cute. Look at them all. Right? And then I think there's times that he looks down and goes, ah, you're so dumb. <laughs> like I, <laughs> you're totally in my image and I would never do that. Like what is wrong with you? You know, I think there's some of those days where he's hiding the angel's eyes. Like, like, hey, you don't need to see this. This is embarrassing. Like, I think this is one of them. Uh, excuse me, everybody. You are bowing down to something you made. If you made it, that means it's less than you. That means it can't be your God. It can't be greater than you. Uh, nobody's following me. Like <laughs> this is kind of obvious team. All right. Uh, a better picture of the same concept comes from Isaiah 44, nine. Um, he tells the story and it's pretty powerful. Here's what he says. Isaiah 44, nine, all who fashion idols, meaning who make idols are nothing. The things they delight in do not profit. Go to verse 12. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool, works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers. He works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry. His strength fails. He drinks no water. He's faint. In the same way, the carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil, shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedar trees or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it and then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it, warms himself, kindles a fire, bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. So half of it he burns within the fire and over half he eats his meat. He roasts it. He's satisfied, warms himself, says, ah, I'm warm. I've seen the fire and the rest of it. He makes into a God. His idol falls down to it, worships it, prays to it and says, deliver me. You are my God. They know not, nor do they discern why he shut their eyes. They cannot see their hearts. They cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, wait a second. Half of it. I burned in the fire. I baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and I've eaten. And now I'm going to make the rest of it an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not simply a lie in my right hand? What was the point? Nobody's putting the pieces together. Half of it I burned in the fire. Half of it is my God. That's dumb. And we just don't seem to put that. Now, what is he talking about? So in the ancient world, gods were like little statues, little totems, where if they served a fish god, there'd be like part fish, part man. Or if it was a fertility god, it would be a woman and it would, you know, all these different designs. They'd put them on the mantle and they would worship those and they would think like superstitiously they would protect the house. So they would give them great harvest and they would give alms to them and, and worship to them and praise to them. And it was all these little statues of what they represent. And this is where we as a modern technology society go, oh, ho, 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 you silly, ignorant, ancient people. So stupid. Because we think we moved on. You really think we moved on? Are you kidding me? We're doing the same stuff today. 
No, it's not a little tiny totem. No, it's not a little God on your mantle. But we got just as many gods, just as many idols as they ever had. Why? Well, what's an idol? Anything you treat like God. What do I mean? Here we go. Anything that you praise, that you worship, that gets your attention, your obedience, your love, your focus, your devotion, your security, your resources, your loyalty. Am I starting to ping on anything now? Here's what's totally weird about it. I just described for some of you, your children. You go, Pastor, what are you trying to say? You're trying to say my children are bad? No, I'm not trying to say your children are bad. Here's what I'm trying to say, and you may want to write this down. Even a good thing in God's place is an idol. Even a good thing. I didn't tell your children are bad. I said your heart's wrong. You put them in the wrong spot. There's nothing wrong with having your kids high on the list. Just don't have them in God's spot. You know what? I can't really go to church today. I can't really do my devotions. You see, I'm a mom. You see, I can't really be focused on my relationship with the Lord. I'm a dad, so I'm working hard for my family. That's garbage. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's in the top spot? It better be God in the top spot. Because otherwise everything's going to fall apart. But we tend to move good things up into his spot. We put good things on his throne. But it's his throne that makes the good thing bad. In that circumstance. Here's the thing. The problem with idol making and what we do, if you can make it, it's not a sufficient savior. Can we agree on that? If you can control it, it's not a sufficient Lord. If we can contain it, it's not a sufficient God. That's just the bottom line. But notice how impressed we are with a work of our own hands. We're so impressed with us. Let me give you an example. We buy stuff on credit. How weird is that? We buy stuff on credit. Here's why it's so odd. Like, for example, if I said, how many of you own a home? We would have huge amounts of you raise your hand. And I'd go, oh, when did you pay it off? And you're like, what's that? (laughs) I said, how many of you own a home? Oh, no, no, no. You're paying on credit. And you know how you can find out? Stop paying. (laughs) Somebody else owned your home. That's the way it works. Here's what's so weird about credit. You're assuming you can pay it off. Why are you assuming that? Well, because what? You're impressed with your earning potential? You see, here's what happens. I have earning potential. Then I have a brain aneurysm. Now I don't have earning potential. Ah, we're much more fragile than you thought. It's amazing how confident we are that we are going to be able to do what we want to do. But what if that is not always the case? Do you understand what I'm saying? Here's another thing. We build systems we cannot sustain. For example, man, we're newly married. We're fired up. We're going to have five kids. We're going to have a rocking family. Hey, can you support five kids financially? I have no idea. (laughs) Well, you do know that you can't take them back, right? Like when they grow up out of the cute puppy stage, you're not allowed to hand them back. They stay around. Like it's a system you just launched. They're never going away, right? Here's the other thing. We reorganize things believing that it won't affect the integrity of the whole. How do we know? If you ever want to completely freak yourself out, just do study in genetic alteration. 
it is super weird. What do I mean? Where will you start working with the core of things and moving the pieces around? So for example, right? It's one thing to have dog breeding and all our half dogs. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I've got a moodle. And you're like, I don't even know what that means. I got a chickapoo and a shish boom ball. And I got a, you know, it's okay. Dude, even the dogs are looking like, seriously? Like, (laughs) I'm not hooking up with that guy. Anyway. Okay, that is simply dog breeding. There's a whole different ball game when we start altering our food. Right? Like, we're messing with everything now. And we're not thinking about the cohesive whole. If there's a dollar to be made, we're going to make the alteration. Why? Because we want the apple to last longer. We want this to stay out of the freezer longer. We want this milk to be fresh longer. We want this egg to be able to do this more. That's how it's going to work. When you keep messing with everything, you don't realize, we're like, man, things are breaking in our society. Yeah! You can't keep messing with all the little parts and not assume that it's going to affect the integrity of the whole. It doesn't work like that. Y'all heard the phrase contraindications, contraindications. Uh, ask your doctor about it. What happens is he'll say, you're taking these meds and you're taking these meds, but you can't take them together because one affects the other. How is the FDA supposed to know your lifestyle? This is completely cool if you do it by itself. This is completely cool if you do it by itself. Please don't mix those right? Some of y'all like me really, really appreciate your anxiety meds. However, some of you also really, really appreciate brandy. Okay. We're not mixing those two. You don't mix those at the same time. Oh, and driving's good. Not when combined, right? You can't keep messing with the parts without realizing an impact on the whole. So we have a lot of stuff broken. Why? Because do we really know what's going on in our world? No, we're making it up. Do we really have any clue on the next world? No, we don't. We're guessing at it. But we keep doing things so confidently as if it's not going to have any impact. So how do we know how to make a God for ourselves? That is absolutely ridiculous. Sometimes we make idols in our life because we're control freaks. We all want control, either from fear to make it less fearful or just pride. We want to be able to tell everyone what to do because we believe that we know what's best for us. We believe that we know the direction we ought to go. We believe there's a greater fulfillment over there. But is there? Do we even know what we're talking about? Here's the problem with God. You can either have a mysterious and holy God or no God at all. You don't get to have a God you can control. By definition, he wouldn't be God if you could get your arms around him. Right? What we want is a a take him or leave it God. We love the idea of the mantle God, do we not? I take God with me when I need travel mercies. And I put him back when I get home. We love the God we can take off the shelf that answers our prayers, but expects nothing of us. We love the idea of a God who blesses, a God who anoints. We love the God of power as long as we don't have to alter our lifestyles. We want a take and leave God, but there is no such thing. There's God or there's not. 
So as long as we are obsessed with autonomy, we're going to have a problem with God. Yeah? The main challenge with idol worship is you become what you worship. You become what you're really into. That's why we always have to watch and see what our idols are. Have you ever seen, now this is totally old school. So some of you, even in school, don't even have these old videos. Back KVIE, stuff like that. Anybody remember Channel 6 and all that stuff locally? Um, They used to have these time-lapse photography reels where they would show a plant that they put in a dark corner and there was a window about two feet away that had sunlight coming in and they would speed up the time lapse and you would watch the plant lean all the way over to the light. Like, hey, that's kind of the way I get food. So, and you watch the whole plant bend. Now, if you're just staring at it, you can't tell. That's how we are. Whatever you love the most, you're going to lean into. It's going so subtly, you don't recognize it. Whoever your heroes are, you're going to slowly morph into their character. Who are your heroes? Right? Uh, The danger in idol worship is it will make you do things you never thought you would do. Right? Hmm. Okay, we'll get into that in a moment. Behind every idol, there's powers. It's one of our enemies, world, flesh, devil. Okay, let's talk about world for a moment. If you got wrangled into it and you're now convinced due to advertising, it's probably the world, right? Anybody ever been caught up in the stuff trap? More stuff is going to heal you. More stuff is going to satisfy you. More stuff is going to make you feel better. More stuff is going to solve that aching on the inside. More stuff is going to make you feel significant. More stuff is going to make you feel affirmed, right? Anybody buy into that? Let me, let me give you an example. So um, I was super proud that um, two nights ago, uh, let's see, Friday night, two nights ago, we had the 19th annual, we hosted it here, uh, the, we've only been involved last three to five years, the 19th annual Roseville Police and Fire Banquet, right? Where we had about 300 um, first responders, paramedics, EMTs, fire department, police officers, dispatch. We had them all in. They were handing out awards for, you know, uh, customer service of the year and all this stuff. We had Christina Mendonza for almost 19 years. She's been the host of the MC of it. So she was all professional. We had a three piece jazz band and this whole place was transformed. Well, one of the things they did to make a lot of the officer male and female to to kind of give them something fun to do. They got in contact with Diamond Auto Sports and a bunch of other car dealerships, and they brought in exotic sports cars for them to test drive. We had Lamborghinis out front. We had McLarens. We had Ferraris. We had BMWs. We had Maseratis. We had everything out in the front of our church. It was crazy cool, right? Now, I'm not a car guy, right? Everyone, like, they'll come up and say, hey, what do you got under that hood? I'm like, an engine, right? Like... <laughs> takes gas, right? I'm still the guy who's trying to figure out, is it leaded or unleaded, right? Do you remember that? Anybody remember leaded gas? Like what in the world? That's totally gone now. Okay. I don't know anything about it. I can, I can go to a place that changes my oil. 
I mean, that's about as good of a car guy as I am. So I don't know anything, but I know a cool car when I see one. So they had out front a McLaren, which looks a lot like a Ferrari. I'm usually a Ferrari guy, but McLaren, well, it's a little fancier. So I, I went in there and I was like, man, I was talking with Tony, the owner of it. There were some pr- private owners that brought in their vehicles, right? So I saw this car and I was like, I've got to be in that car. This is super cool, right? This is my only shot to be able to do this. He's like, yeah, come on in. It's the wing doors that lift up and all that stuff, right? I have, you would have never seen something so cool look so dorky with me sitting in it. You guys, I mean, I took all cool factor right out. Why? Because I'm a giant. That's why I'm sitting in a car built for a horse jockey and I'm six foot three. I look like the giraffe out of the hood. You know what I'm saying? Like out of the little thing as he's driving down the road. Thank goodness it was a convertible. I was so high above like the, the windshield. I almost felt like the owner looked at me and was like, I didn't think that was possible. Like, how could you have made my car so less cool right now? Like, now, I could have got all into this idea. It is a $350,000 car. That's insane. I'm sitting in a three. I'm not going to tell you the price of my home. I'm just going to tell you what we paid for it is less than Mr. Tony's car. That's all I'm going to say, right? It, it, uh, this is such a an expensive... Now, I could get caught up in the world going, you know what? If you had this or if you had this, this would ultimately fix you. Here's the problem. I can tell you right now, Tony probably wants a different car now. Why? Because he's already got the McLaren. He's already driven it around. It's not that big of a deal to him anymore, Right? At what point are we going to be wise enough to realize stuff is never going to fix it? Cooler stuff, better stuff, all that. You're just trading up and then you're not going to want it anymore. So either we're getting robbed by what the world or it's our own flesh. I believe that the God of America is self. The God of America is self. And you'll know this when Jesus comes head to head with telling someone in America that they need to submit to God. Boy, that's not going to go well, right? I believe the goddess of America is money because money feeds self, right? But the God is truly self. So it's either the world, the flesh, or a personal devil. You think that the devil's not going to be behind a lot of this stuff, so it's going to work for you for a little while, and then it turns on you. He'll give you 20% benefit if he can get 80% of your life. You understand? He's playing with us. Pick it up in verse 19. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake or a silent stone, arise. Can it even teach you? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver. There's no breath in it at all. There is a foolishness to idol worship. What are we worshiping? Let's make it practical. Your money cannot protect you from what really matters. How do I know that? My dad is wealthy enough to have really good insurance. And we got him into a really good hospital. And he got a really good diagnosis. And now what? Nothing. Your money will never make your children love you more. Your money is not going to fix your marriage. 
Now, what is money going to do? Money's going to provide escapism. Money's going to make brunch way more yummy. Right? I'm not telling you there's not a lot of benefits to it. I'm telling you that when it comes to what matters, it's just not going to do it. You need something more. The life that you're clamoring for, that you see in somebody else, is not as cool as you think it is. I have had the very unusual life of being in the spotlight most of my existence. At a very young age, I was in a band and playing music. And, and I remember one time it all kind of came very clear to me. I was, I was living at my mom's house and we did this show, this gig. And I was there and after the show, I was signing autographs, taking pictures with everybody being fawned over. Two hours later, I was vacuuming the house. (laughs) That's it. Trying to make the little lines right. (laughs) There you go. That's fame. Woo! (laughs) Everyone that's walking the red carpet, that is an awesome night for them. And then they have to put their pants on one leg at a time. Okay, I'm going to do it real quick. You know how I kind of use you guys for therapy? Okay, so... um, (laughs) Real quick, just got to confess to y'all. I have a, a, a huge man crush on Ryan Reynolds. Okay, I'm just, I'm just telling you right now. If you don't know who the actor Ryan Reynolds is, your life is just not full. So, <clears throat> so I, and I'm only telling you what your wife already knows. Okay. Ryan Reynolds, one of my favorite guys, favorite guys ever. Super, he's on top of his game, and he's huge in Hollywood and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, and, and his wife's super popular and famous and all this stuff. Did you see three days ago what he came out with in the news? That he has generalized anxiety disorder, the same panic disorder that I do? I mean, we're practically the same person. <laughs> One or two differences. <laughs> Here's my point. You can have all that and it doesn't stop the panic. When Robin Williams killed himself, when he hung himself because of his depression, when Jim Carrey talks about being bipolar, it just, it does, the life you're clamoring for, it's not that big of a deal. They're spending all their time in insecurity too, right? So all this stuff that we're setting up, like that's what, that's what I really want. That's what I really want to be that it's really not what you think it is. But as I mentioned earlier, the danger of idol worship is it will take you places that you never thought you would go. In Israel, there's a recounting in Psalms that says when they got into the promised land, they were supposed to get rid of all the idols, of the other nations. They didn't. They ended up not only serving those idols, but they ended up, Israelites ended up doing human sacrifice of burning their children alive to the god Molech. The very thing they thought they would never do, the thing they judged in everybody else. You think it's only them? See, it all starts out real slow, right? You just want to help work for your family and you want to just be a good guy and you want to be able to what, have a good work ethic, and then all of a sudden there's demands at work, and eventually it gets to the point where you're trying to work at home, and your little three-year-old comes up and interrupts your work time, and you mute it, and you scream at him. 
and ruin their little psyche. Why? Because how dare they interrupt you? And you thought you'd never be like that, right? Because your dad was like that to you. You thought you were never going to do that. Now you are. That's a problem with idols. That's a problem is they bend you into their image. And like an addiction, you never even saw it coming. It rolls up and now you're somebody that you can't even imagine. It just leads to worse outcomes. Let's close it out in verse 20. But the Lord, you see, in contrast to all these idols, the Lord's different. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You know what, everyone? God is real. God is real and God is a good, good God. We are loved and we need to love him more. He is kind. He's loving The more we love him, the more we begin to morph into the image of his son. We can let go of our hearts. We can embrace our rightful king. He does things the right way. You see, it's easy to jump into this message and talk about everything you shouldn't do. Well, don't do this idol. Don't do this idol. I I think we're all wise enough to realize the whole don't do this is not a motivation that lasts. It's not going to stick. We're led by our loves. If you heard nothing else that I've said all day long, here's what you should hear. You just got to love Jesus more. Why? Because your love will purify everything else out. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Man, all you got to do is get right with me and everything else sorts out. Let me give you an example, right? My daughters. No one, no external agency... No other person needs to come into my life and tell me not to hurt my daughters. Why? Because my love won't allow it. I don't ever think and wrestle with should I or should I not harm my daughters. The answer is always no. Why? Because my love leans me the other way. I don't have to spend all my time thinking about it. How wonderful would it be for us to be the types of Christians that are not worried about sin as much because we're so into love, that one doesn't even have any interest anymore. You know what I mean? That's a motivational Christianity. That's the stuff where you start saying, everyone said, well, are you wrestling with this? Are you wrestling with that? Oh, you know what? Honestly, I'm not even thinking about it right now, but that's, that's, I'm mostly more into my Jesus, right? Because if we spend all our life doing sin management, Just make sure you love Jesus a little bit more than you love your sin. We eventually get burned. I know. I live that. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Until we have God in his rightful place, all other things are out of whack. So as they're coming up here, let's assess our personal idols, right? Let me ask you this. What are you spending your money on? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are you spending your money on? Because you're trading time of your life for that thing. What are you spending your time on? See, here's the funny thing. People answer me, well, pastor, I don't spend my money on much of anything because it all mostly goes to our mortgage. You think that doesn't tell a value? Why is your house so expensive? And then the rest of us, I'll say, where do you spend your time? And you go, well, pastor, I don't have a lot of free time. I'm mostly in the office. You think that doesn't say something? It all says something. But here's a better one. Where is your mind drift during the day? What is your dream? What is your love? Where do you tend to go? That will tend to be a very clear indicator of your love of your heart. Like right now, 
You've been in church, right? And I'm like, blah, 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 yell, laugh. <laughs> Where'd your mind go? It went somewhere. You're like, well, the longer you talk, it goes to food. <laughs> okay, I get it. But when your mind drifts during the day, where is it always going? What is that interest? What is that love? That might be something to look at. What we're going to do is we're going to close out and pray. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that if you're building on anything other than Jesus, it's going to burn or it's going to fall over. So may he give us the insight to see the idols, give us the grace so that the shame doesn't eat us alive, and then the power to root it out and the love to leave it behind. You all following me? That's what we're going to pray for. This prayer team is up here because I've only talked about one sliver of Christianity in life. You have a lot of things on your heart. Whatever is on your heart, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, whatever it is, you bring it up here to the altar. You let them pray with you for breakthrough. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and close out. Heavenly Father, we love you. We know that you're always good and always right. We are quite sure that we don't know what we're doing. So we're going to lift our lives up to you. And we ask, God, that you would transform us. You're our solution. You're the fix. You're the best. So, God, we do. We ask right now, on behalf of all of us, Lord, I've got idols in my life. I've got things that I'm still wrestling through. I have sin I hang on to. And, God, it's because I have a love problem. So I just ask, Lord, that you would stimulate in all of us a more intense drive to you. Sometimes, Lord, it's cool to have infatuation with you, but, Lord, we ultimately need a love that has some loyalty in there. So, God, would you woo us once again that we may fall in love with you all over. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.